Hey, Howard Jacobson here. Welcome to today's Plant Yourself podcast. A quick reminder, this podcast is free for everyone and supported by patrons. So if you would like to find out about becoming a patron of the show and helping us out, helping defray the cost, helping to spread the message, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Howard Jacobson here with another COVID-19 South African lockdown edition of the Plant Yourself podcast. Today is day nine, Saturday, April, what day is it? Third? Fourth? Fourth. Fourth. Thanks. Um, and it is the, um, the, the sonic soundscape of rain on a tin roof on the veranda where I record these podcasts. So um, either think of it as white noise or... A, uh, a gentle relaxation soundscape. So today I want to talk about um, something that's been very up for me for pretty much the past three weeks, and that is making decisions and how to make decisions and how I've been making decisions and how we as a family have been making decisions and the way you can get all tied up in knots when making decisions and feel regret about making decisions that you've made that don't work out. Um, so I'll, I'll start with just a little bit of the narrative of, of how we're still here. So we booked this trip a long time ago, like November. Uh, we, as, as a family, came together and decided, yeah, you know, the kids are grown, but eight years ago we lived in this area uh, we had a lot of friends from here. We had a lot of wonderful memories, and we hadn't been back in eight years, and it was kind of time. And I had a um, royalty check from Hole and the low-carb fraud. And I thought, let's we can um, check and see. And all of a sudden, there were really, really, really inexpensive tickets on South African Airways round trip. It's cheapest we'd seen in a long time, and we could we could handle it. And we, and we knew we we're not going to go on safari. We're not going to do expensive stuff. We can limit you know, eating out in restaurants and buying gifts, we can make this work for the three weeks. And we decided on three weeks because anything less than three weeks, we just sleep through because the jet lag is brutal. Really, you know, a week, a week and a half before we can really enjoy ourselves. And so we booked those tickets. And then when it came time to actually uh, fly, to actually go, we had a a family discussion because now things were starting to heat up. There were the first cases in New York. Um, there was a report of one coronavirus case in South Africa, a guy who had returned from Italy from one of the hot spots. But we're like, you know what? It's, it'll be fine. Um, you know, we, I kind of made an impassioned speech about, like, if we don't go, we'll regret it. But if we do go, at least we'll have some sort of adventure and, you know, no one could imagine, like, what exactly was going to happen, which is kind of the point when you are making decisions. When you make a decision, you're essentially, as Annie Duke writes in her book, Thinking in Bets, you're making a bet on the future. And we were making bets with less information than we even thought. Um, so, so, you know, here, here we were. And we had our itinerary planned. It was going to be a week or nine days in the Berg here where 
we were going to see all our friends and reminisce and do all the old hikes and, and see what's changed. And then we were going to drive to Durban, fly to Cape Town, and spend about a week in a, a beach area called Betty's Bay. And just, you know, just vacation. A little house by the beach. And slowly, all of these plans started falling apart, starting with the burgeoning of cases in South Africa, um, with the government getting more and more strict about, well, maybe you shouldn't fly. And then the flights started getting canceled. And we got an email from Airbnb saying that we could do a, a, um, a re- get a refund, which is where, how, where we booked the Betty's Bay House through. And so gradually, it's, okay, well, I guess, I guess we're staying here. Or maybe we could take our rental car and drive down to Cape Town and still do it. Um, and we're playing around with that. But the more we pontificate and debate and discuss and weigh our options, the more those options, options are being taken away from us. Like now, that they were, they were going to have this lockdown where you couldn't travel across um, state borders. And we are in uh, KwaZulu-Natal, and we'd have to go through uh, Western Cape. So there'd be a checkpoint there. And we certainly were not doing anything essential. You know, family on vacation looking to go to the beach is not exactly... Uh, high on their priority list. And so then we were like, okay, well, I guess we're, we're staying here. However, our rental is done by Sunday. We got to get out. We got to find some other place. And this is again before news of the lockdown was being announced. We thought, well, maybe we'll, uh, you know, just sort of ride it out until April 2nd, until our flight home. Then my sister calls and says the U.S. State Department has recommended that all Americans return to the United States as quickly as possible. So now we've got a decision to make. Do we listen to the State Department's uh, dictum? Okay, I understand if you're in a war zone, if you're in Honduras or Peru or Venezuela or a place of instability or a place where there's a coronavirus hotspot, the U.S. wants its citizens home. You know, the, the, the mother hen wanting to uh, sit on all her eggs. But we were in a fairly nice, safe place. At this point, we were still going hiking, still socializing with people. And we had to decide, um, do we switch our flight? And we kind of got a little bit scared. And so we, had to, we made a decision to switch the flight from April 2nd to March 25th, which would have been a Wednesday. It was the earliest flight that South African Airways could have given us. So we got on the phone, called South African Airways, and changed our flight. An hour later, we're talking to a friend who says, did you hear that South African Airways just canceled all their flights? We're like, no, 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 we just booked with them. You must be mistaken. They probably just uh, eliminated some routes to save money. You know, people aren't flying as much. So we go online, look at the newspaper. Sure enough, South African Airways, which has been in bankruptcy for a while, maybe a year already, has now essentially liquidated. The government um, is no longer willing to keep pouring money into a failing business when there's lots of other carriers that fly to South Africa. There's, there's tremendous poverty in this country. And they started feeling like it was just a bad investment. 
And so South African Airways announced they were they were eliminating all national flight, all international flights, all regional flights, all national flights except for one, the Johannesburg to Cape Town route that would still run daily. And they would possibly resume flying at the end of May. So now this was going to be a minimum of two months in country. So we had just agonized about this decision to return on March 25th instead of April 2nd, which was a difference of a week. We'd spent a lot of time debating it, discussing it. Are we tucking tail and running? Is this the smartest thing to do? Are we better off in South Africa than the United States, which is now starting to see burgeoning cases? And we, again, we are making a bet on the future with grossly insufficient information. And that bet turned out to be totally moot. We didn't have to make the decision. The decision ended up, again, being made for us when South African Airways stopped flying. At this point, I have a little freak out. And I'm like, I got to get home. Of course, nothing had changed in the situation except that I'd had a flight home that I'd committed to that I could no longer go on. So it's not like, oh, now you tell me I can't have it, now I got to have it. So I went on um, orbits and looked for flights. And actually, we got an email from our travel agents, the one who booked it, saying, um, South African Airways will probably never fly again. You have lost the money on your return t- ticket. Book another flight home as quickly as possible. That was their recommendation to all their clients whom they had booked on South African Airways in the upcoming months. So armed with this dictum and my feeling of we've just had something taken away from us that I want now, right? that old um, behavioral science endowment effect, once I have a ticket in my hand, it's mine, it's worth a lot to me, and I don't want to give it up. So we went on orbits and looked for other flights, and there were, for, there were flights for airlines that I'd never flown before, some of which I'd never heard of before, like Etihad, I guess it's Ethiopian Airlines. There was flights through Doha, flights, flights um, through um, United Arab Emirates, through Qatar. There was a flight through Cathay Pacific, through Hong Kong. And there was a flight through Istanbul on Turkish Airways, which was the cheapest. It was like a little over $500 a ticket. So I thought, well, 2000 $2, bucks extra. Okay, let's book it. And I booked it, and then I went proudly back to tell the family that I had booked us on a flight home through Istanbul. And we started packing. Um, it was, it was going to be in, uh, I, it was on Friday, and I'd booked it for Sunday. I could have booked it for Saturday, but that felt kind of too quick. So at the same time as I want us to get out of there as quickly as possible, because now things are feeling really unsettled and dangerous, I did not book the next flight. I booked the flight after the next flight, and the United States had also announced that they were considering shutting off the border to all international travel. So on Saturday, and and by the way, on orbits, you get 24 hours to cancel uh, and get a full refund. So this was on Friday. By Saturday afternoon, around 1 p.m., so I had three hours left, Mia was like, what if we get stuck in Istanbul? This doesn't sound like, you know, a real useful place to be stuck. We don't speak the language. Uh, There's an authoritarian um, president who is um, the the head of a religious party. Um, It didn't seem like a real safe place to be stuck, and I didn't know what the chances were, so I went on the... uh, Turkish Airlines website to see like how they, how they were flying, what they were saying, 
Um, certainly, if we left, if we went to Istanbul, we would not be able to return to South Africa. It was unclear if we were in Istanbul, if we didn't get to the United States, where we could go. Or we'd have to be put up in some quarantine hotel for Americans in, uh, you know, Center City. I had no idea. Um, got to the uh, website for Turkish Airways, Turkish Airlines. They um, had a link to talk to them that turned out to be a Twitter account, and their Twitter account was surprise entirely in Turkish. There was no communicating in English. At that point, after another freak out, canceled that flight. So we weren't out of pocket. Then the next thing was, um, talked to a friend here who said her son had come home from Canada on the very last KLM flight that left Canada before South Africa closed its borders. KLM was still flying. You should try them. So with my sister's help, we booked four really expensive tickets on KLM, um, totaling over like $6,700. And this was like, okay. And it was uh, the, the earliest flight was then Friday. And this, this was again on, uh, on Sunday. So we booked these tickets for almost a week out and now waiting to see what happens. And then on Tuesday, they announced the lockdown um, we keep checking the KLM app. Yeah, it's still flying. Yeah, it's still flying. Do we want to go? Do we want to get on a metal tube now that the coronavirus, like Amsterdam, where we're going to be landing, is one of the coronavirus hotspots? It flies into JFK. New York is the epicenter of the disease in the United States. Um, going through Johannesburg, the police were going to be starting this lockdown. There were stories already of police brutality and um, South African National Defense Force abuse. Uh, beatings, briberies, shootings. It seemed extremely lawless. And did we want to uh, get on a plane where God knows how many people are trying to get out of the country who also may have the virus? And we're debating and debating, and we have to decide what we're going to do with the rental car. And then on Thursday, we hear from our neighbors here, whose mother is a travel agent, oh, KLM just canceled the flight. So again, all this agonizing, and ultimately, it wasn't a decision we even had to make. So now we're we're here, we're waiting. We keep getting emails from the uh, State Department, from the the U.S. Embassy in Johannesburg, is trying to arrange repatriation flights. Um, They had one that apparently fell through because of all these hiccups. The last email I got yesterday was saying, and that yesterday was uh, Friday, that they're hoping to have a flight by the middle of next week. If we're still interested, uh, just don't do anything. Just stay on the list. We have to fill out these promissory notes saying that we're going to repay the government. We don't know exactly how much it's going to be, somewhere between $1,200 and $1,500 a ticket. And again, we're like, should we go? And again, we're starting to realize these decisions end up getting made for us. And that's the thing about decisions during this time, that when so much is outside of our control, we think like the one thing we can do is we can make decisions. We can weigh the options. We can discuss. We can debate. We can argue. We can make um, you know, pros and cons lists. And... Ultimately, there is so much unknown right now that our decision-making is unbelievably sub-optimized. If you're used to 
weighing facts and making decisions. Well, we're not in normal. You can't look at base rates. You can't look at what's happened in the past to assess what's going to happen in the future. How can we make a bet about the world when when nothing like this has happened for over 100 years? And when I say like this, I don't necessarily mean the disease itself, because we don't know. I was listening on the news yesterday to John Ioannidis, who's an epidemiologist. I think he's at Stanford. He was saying, look, we really don't know the denominator. We don't know how many people have had the, have been infected. So we really don't know the mortality rate. We, you know, we certainly haven't tested enough people. So this might not be any worse than a regular flu in terms of mortality rates. So we don't, you know, what we do know is how we've reacted, what the world has become, what has happened, and, you know, possibly going into a recession worse than uh, 1929, possibly going into a time where social distancing becomes the norm, going into a time where businesses are failing, where people are being laid off right and left. How can you make a decision based on any sort of imagined trajectory? And the answer is, you can't. And when you do make decisions, like that decision, we still haven't looked to see whether that Turkish Airlines flight made it to Istanbul and made it from Istanbul to the United States. And we're kind of curious, like, would we be, could we be home by now if we'd taken those flights? They weren't that expensive. And the answer is, we don't know. We could check, but we don't know if we would have gotten sick on the flight we don't know if we would have made other people sick on the flight. And so now we're in the realm of counterfactuals and regret. And that's, that's the poison of decisions. As you make a decision and it doesn't turn out the way you had bet on it, and then you can feel a lot of regret. And typically, you know, as Annie Duke writes in Thinking in Bets, we don't want to assess a decision by the outcome. You know, you could say, okay, well, you know, she's a poker player, professional poker player. She could say, well, based on everything I know, I'm going to raise this hand. And it turns out that the other person, through sheer luck, has four aces. And, they lo- you know, Annie loses. And she can't say, well, I made a bad decision. See, I made the best decision I could based on the information I had. And randomness and luck intervened, and I lost. We don't really have that luxury right now when we don't have enough information to make these decisions. So any decision we make, we're going to end up with the possibility, with the real possibility of regret. And we're talking not just about tiny little decisions, but the stuff that could be life or death, stuff that could be really, really meaningful, important, impactful, long-term. So what I'm coming to is that instead of decision heuristics, instead of algorithms, instead of charts, yeah, collect as much information as you can. You know, watch the news, go to the state.gov website, uh, talk to other people, play out possible worst-case scenarios. You know, essentially, we want our decisions now to avoid the worst-case scenarios. Our decisions are basically insurance policies against, you know, likely or even unlikely worst-case scenarios. But ultimately, what we're going to be making decisions on these days is gut. 
is what it feels like in our bodies. And so if you're making decisions, you know, so you can call it intuition, you can call it body wisdom, but essentially it's presence. It's noticed because so many times I've made a decision and I ignored some body sensation that said, this is not a cool thing to do right now. You don't want to get involved with these people in a business venture. You don't really trust them. You don't really think you're aligned with them. And you're like, yeah, but the money's good. Or yeah, but I could reach so many people. My body is almost always right about this. And I ignore it and override it at my peril. And that's what I'm relying on right now. And so in order to be able to listen to my body, I have to master my psychology to the, to the point where I'm not an anxious, nervous wreck. So doing my daily meditations, uh, doing things that feed my soul. So we borrowed a, a guitar here, and uh, I don't, I'm not sure my family's thrilled about it, but I've been practicing some songs. I learned an old Gordon Lightfoot tune yesterday. Song for a Winter's Night. You should listen to it on uh, Spotify or YouTube or Apple Music if you get a chance. It's a beautiful song. He's got this wonderful resonant voice. It's a sort of a sappy I miss you love song. I hope you miss me too. And uh, chords aren't that hard. And, and after you know playing with that for a while and doing my meditation and going for a walk, I then have access to body wisdom. Not, I don't have access to body wisdom when I'm immersed in the spreadsheet of pros and cons. I don't have access to body wisdom when I'm frightened about making a bad decision, about, you know, preloading regret. Oh God, what if I'm wrong? Right? None of these um, stances are going to help me get in touch with my body. But everything we do, like eating well, eating mindfully, stopping when you're full, not, you know, snacking um, just to, because you're bored. Things that, that we're all doing in, uh, in, in sheltering in place and in quarantine. Um, these, are, these are the practices to get back in touch with our body, to notice, oh, I'm stress eating going to take a breath, going to do some stretching, going to do a little yoga, going to go for a walk, going to do some floor push-ups, wall push-ups, going to take a bath, going to massage my own neck. Getting in touch with what the body needs is the best way to ally with the body so that it gives us clear signals when decisions have to be made. And remember, right now, at least from my perspective, there are very few decisions that have to be made. The, you know, the moment arises and the thing to do just appears, becomes obvious. It's almost like I'm hungry, I walk into the kitchen, I open the cabinet, there's some food. I prepare it, I eat it, I clean. The thing right in front of us is the thing that we get to do right now. So if, if you'd like some help with the mindfulness, with relaxation, with being in the moment, with combating um, anxiety-induced fatigue or cravings or the need to overeat. 
Um, got a little product I put together. It's called Guided Relaxation Exercises for the Homebound and Stressed Out. And it's right now it's got 10 audios from ranging from 5 to 15 minutes each, which will guide you. Um, it's got a beautiful uh, anti-insomnia exercise. It's got progressive relaxation for muscle tension. Got a lot of good stuff. And in these financially unstable times, I would love to get paid for it. Um, but I have not put a price on it. So it is, uh, the price is right now zero plus donation. So it's essentially a pay what you can. If you're interested in finding out more about that, you can just check out the um, sales page. Actually, there's no information on it. It's just what I told you. It's just an order form. At, and you go to plantyourself.com slash unstress, U-N-S-T-R-E-S-S, unstress, plantyourself.com slash unstress, and you can get it. And if you don't like it, uh, you have a year to get a refund, or if you do it for free, then just delete it. doesn't matter. Um, the other thing is uh, remind you of my tip jar. If you want to support the mission of Plant Yourself and you want to support us while we're in South African lockdown, you can find that at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Well, that's it for now. I'm really curious to hear from you. If you want to leave a comment on plantyourself.com underneath the, uh, this episode or on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash plantyourself, or just email me, hj at plantyourself.com. How have you been dealing with decisions? How have you been making them? How have you been dealing with the aftermath when they turn out to be good or not so good? And what's your experience with just dropping into body sense and allowing presence to make decisions for you? Look forward to hearing from you. Um, talk to you again tomorrow. And as always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willreidenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kanowski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carl Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Dean Norton, Bonnie Lynch at Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Izatuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Cartz, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, 
Ian Kramer, Lance, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, and Michael Lushton for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>